Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to continue with uh, the series on grace. And we are focusing on how that submission is an expression of humility to which grace is attracted. Grace is attracted to humility. Humility is expression and evidence is obedience, like I've taught in the past. Part of that obedience will demand of you to be submitted to another, to bring your life under the auspices and oversight of somebody else. Many people struggle with this whole idea of being submitted. But submission is a kingdom culture. It's part of the righteousness of the kingdom of God to be submitted. And as Carol says, uh, Carol told us in her administration of the table of the Lord this morning that the Greek term for submission is hupa tasso. Hupa means down, beneath, or under. Tasso means in right order or in an orderly arrangement. Everyone in the kingdom of God must learn quickly this fact that the kingdom of God is a highly structured entity. It's got protocols, it's got principles, there is rank and file. There is an order to this highly organized kingdom. It's called the kingdom of, of God. Okay, When you come into this realm, you have to sub- be su- submitted to someone that could speak the word of God into your life in order to put your life in order. Because your life can be disordered. But your humanity, and I will demonstrate this more closely next week when you'll see this in the life of Jesus, your humanity, even though you're full of divinity, your humanity, the human side of you, needs to be put in proper structure and order for the divine deposit within you to maximum effect. You can be richly endowed with spiritual things, but wrongly ordered in the natural, and you lose what you potentially have. So you need your life to be put into to proper arrangement or, or proper order. Okay, So the Greek word hupotasso suggests these things. I like what Carol said, um, once you hupo, you'll be tassoed. <laughs> once you hupa, you'll be tassoed. Right? Learn to bow, learn to come, bend, bow down, and everything will come into alignment. Everything will come into right arrangement. However, listen carefully, while submission in the, in the Bible is always couched relationally, simply meaning you are, you are to submit to another. Submission is never arbitrary in a vacuum without reference to somebody else. So the one must submit to another. It's relational, it's person to, to person. It's first to God, right? You must submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But you must also accept the corporeal principle. Everyone say corporeal. Corporeality or corporeal is a theological term meaning anything spirit cannot come functionally into the earth unless it comes in human form. So the Christ child 
the Word of God, the pre-existent Christ, the Word which was with God before time began, took on the form of a baby, right? Was conceived in the womb of Mary. So spirit took on fleshly form and came into the earth. We call that corpo, corporeality. Corporeality also means this, that the divine, the invisible, the spiritual, comes representatively in the form of another. So when you see that form come to you, you see the other that that form represents. So, for example, Ananias and Sapphira bring their offerings to, to the church and they lay it at Peter's feet. Remember? Remember Barnabas sold his property and he brought the entire sale of the proceeds of the land to the apostles' feet. Okay? He's blessed by them. Ananias and Sapphira do something similar, but they do not bring the entirety of the proceeds of the sale. The Bible says they kept back part for themselves. Not wrong to do that, but it was wrong for them when they came to present the offering. They presented the offering as the full proceeds of the sale. So the offering was wrongly represented. And Peter said this to them, why do you lie against the Holy Ghost? Duh. They could have said, no, Peter, we're lying against you. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm simply the flesh here. I'm the representation of God administrating this. You haven't lied to me. You've lied against the the Holy Spirit, right? So you've got to understand the representative principle. God is always coming to you. God is always administrating stuff in your life, but He's doing it through human agencies. So when your spiritual father speaks to you, okay? When your spiritual father speaks to you. I, I spoke to someone very strongly and I said, no more time to play games. If I am going to father you, then this thing you must get right. right. And thus saith the Lord, I speak on God's behalf. Don't listen to Randolph. This is now God talking to you. Otherwise, let's, let's, let's seize the relationship and walk our separate ways. If, if you're going to flirt with this thing and, and don't realize that if I tell you something, it's not me, it's God representatively speaking in and through me, if you're going to take biblical principle, what is true biblically, and put it on the back burner, throw the word of God behind you and dismiss it, but still want to see me as a father, can't work. I represent another reality. He comes in this corpse to make himself real. Corporal reality. I am dead to my own identity. I come representative of a, of another, right? Do we all understand, right? So, while we are submitted to God, you, are sub- you ought to be submitted to human agencies, right? That God has put in your life to direct you. But also, I said beyond that, beyond particular relationships, like spiritual father, spiritual son, like husband, wife. Wife must be submitted to? Husband, spiritual son must be submitted to spiritual father. Like employer, employ he. Ephesians and Colossians talks about how the servants must submit to their masters. Also talks about how the masters must view their servants. Okay, like for example, biological parent, biological child. So 
Whenever the Bible speaks about submission, it's contextual to specific relationships. And you'll see it when you eventually get this note in an addendum. I put tons of verses governing each kind of relationship where the Bible talks about how the lesser, and we're using the lesser in inverted commas, the lesser must submit to the greater in inverted commas. Right? And I said to you this, there's no, there's no qualitative superiority of one over another in the kingdom. We all are equal before God because we all have the divine substance of God in us. And no part of God is less than the other part of God, in the sons of God. But, but for functional effectiveness, the grace configuration in how God appears in us is all different. And you've got to perceive it or you've got to recognize it. I spoke about sight and submission, remember? If you don't see it, you won't submit to it. Right? If you don't regard the principle in the relationship that governs the relationship, the one required to submit will never submit to the one that God has put over that individual because of blindness to what the person represents. So a wife must submit to a husband as unto the Lord, it says. If a wife cannot see the lordship of Christ represent in her husband, she will have problems bowing to him. Like Sarah bowed to Abram calling him Lord. Right? She saw something. This is not an ordinary good Jewish husband. He comes representatively of the entirety of the resources of, of heaven to me. Okay? So if you fail to see the representation of Christ in the other, you will not submit to the other. Your submission is contingent upon your sight. If you cannot see what the other represents, you will be unwilling or sometimes even blatantly rebel and refuse to submit to the other. Therefore, your insubmission is tacit evidence of your blindedness. Haven't seen a reality yet. That's why, listen carefully, I love what Carol said, the, the prodigal came to his senses. You know, when she said that, in my mind I clicked. We need, the, we need a light bulb moment for many people. And the Lord said this to me, if people cannot see a reality, you can exhort them all you want to. If it's not revelation, obedience will never come. Sight is prerequisite to submission. Perspective. How, how do you view somebody? So I served all my principles when I taught. I taught for 17 years at high school. I, I served my principles as though I was serving God himself. Why? I know what the scriptures say. In Ephesians 6, in Colossians it says, you, you servants or Masters, it says, oh, sorry, servants or slaves, work as unto your master, not as a man pleaser. Now listen carefully. If you're working for someone and you're still working with the eye on the man to please him as a man, you've lost the plot. You'll cut corners when you can. If he's not looking, you'll come late. Right? You need, so, so long as his supervision is not over you, you will attempt to cut corners, but take your supervision away and see your true colors. Yeah. Huh? You know, at, at one time, there was a 
particular principal, they had to take a leave of absence for two weeks from the school. You and every true color of teachers came out then. They took advantage of the situation. The person that they hid is not around. That is when you should be more committed. Your service is not unto a man. The Bible says you work as unto God. And the scriptures are clear. If you work as unto a man, they give you wages. But if you work as unto God, it says he will reward you. Yeah, he will reward you. How, who would you want to determine your salary, your well-being, your welfare, your earthly boss or God, the Father of heaven and earth as your boss? So we're all going to work diligently in our workplaces, in our businesses, yes? No more shirking. No more late coming. You work as though God had employed you personally. But you can talk to every ex-principal of mine. I went to beyond time, beyond the call of an expectation laid upon me and worked beyond it. Why? I'm not working to please you. My devotion and commitment to the school is as unto God himself and not unto you. Why do I say that? When I see these individuals, I don't see men heads of institutions. I see what they represent. The Bible says all authority has been put there by God. Right? All authority has been put there by God. And my devotion is not unto you. It's unto what you represent in Christ. So I'm committed to the representation. But sometimes you know there are other persons in headship positions that shirk, that got there by fluke. And not by merit, right? And now you must require to submit to this person. That's when the test comes, yeah? How then will you function? You see this, this word, you want more grace. Come on, talk to me. You want more grace? I'm telling you, master the submitted life and see the grace of God work for you. Hmm? Master the submitted life. The people just say to me, but Randolph, how can we so blessed? You're earning a teacher's salary. I say my, my salary is paid by the, uh, the government, the South African government, Department of Education, those days. Yeah? But I'm really working as unto the Lord. So if my mindset is the government, my salary and well-being is limited to what they can give me. But if I'm working as unto my father, he takes care in, of me in ways that goes beyond the limitation of my salary check at the end of the month. Amen? You learn the submitted life. I'm going to encourage you. You will not be dependent upon the Babylonian systems of remuneration. They have limits. But our Father has vast resources. Come on, talk to me. You, you will be well taken care of. But open your eyes to see the representation. That it is true. The point I'm making is in any particular relationship. Okay, I'm using employee-employer as a, as a case study. But apply this to any relationship, spiritual father, spiritual son, husband, uh, uh, a wife, biological parent, child. Um, do you know Brittany? Look at your mom. What do you see? <laughs> okay. You're not seeing someone that gave birth to you. Or look at your parents rather together, jointly, right? You're not seeing, it says children, what, obey your parents in the Lord, right? So it's unto the Lord that you obey the parents. Your devotion to obey is not really to them. It's so that you can please God. Yeah? And Brittany said, and the parents said, loud amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she is an obedient child. Right. 
Now, besides the peculiarity of submission to specific relational contexts, generically or generally, submission in the Bible is also couched in terms of all sons of God being subject one to another. Irrespective of the nature of the relationship, you are to be subject one to another. So while the wife is to be submitted to the husband, the husband is to be subject to the wife also. Right? So while a spiritual son must be submitted to a spiritual father, the spiritual father must also be subject to the son. You see, listen carefully. You will not be subject to anybody you don't place value on. The issue is what do you see and how do you place value on the thing? If you value the thing, you will easily bow to it in preference to it. I display my subjection to you, although I'm over you in Christ. The Bible is very clear. It says, obey them that have the rule over you in the Lord, right? This position of one person over another, right? And it says, you must obey your leaders. This is Hebrews, 7, Hebrews 13, right? It says, obey your leaders because they over you because they watch over your souls. But I am subject to you in how I minister to you. Anybody who has a headship position or is in rulership, the first order of rule is to function for the benefit of those under your rule. You never function for your own personal benefit. You function for the, the benefit of those to whom God has given under your headship. Not so? Now, if all leaders could simply understand that, what a marvelous place this world could, would be. Right? If presidents of nations could understand that. I've been given this position, not for personal benefit, but for the benefit of everybody else under my rule. How I rule, how I lead, demonstrates my subjection to you. If I'm leading for personal benefit, it's a prideful position and demonstrates no worth placed on those I lead. Right? So Hebrew says this. Remember, it says God is not unfaithful. It talks to ministers. Hebrews chapter 6, I think around about verse 10. It says, it talks to leaders. Right? It says God is not unfaithful to forget your labor of love in how you have ministered to the saints and still do minister. Love that text. It's been the text that has encouraged me in my darkest days. Because we too sometimes feel like throwing in the towel. Let's close shop. Let me go back to teaching. Right? <laughs> At least there you teach. You don't listen to me. You fail. The year closes. I'm not responsible. Bye-bye. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with the church. Giving account eternally for the souls of people. So we have vested interest in your development. Yeah? Want to see you grow. Right? But that text at my lowest days, the Lord would always say to me, don't give up. I'm not unfaithful to forget your labor of love in how you've ministered to the saints and still do minister. Right? My love for you is evidenced by how I minister the word of God to you, designed for your benefit, for your betterment. So I want to encourage you, practice mutual. Everyone say mutual submission. Right? This is the submission of one toward the other. And then, okay, I'm taking too long to rehearse. I need to get into today's teaching. Right? Then I encouraged you 
That is only possible if you esteem the other as better than yourself. It demands you adopt a servant mentality. Right? Now, I want to encourage you. The Bible says, learn to be the servant of all. This, if we're going to get this right, we have to train our minds to be the servant of the entire family. Position yourself to aid the spiritual progress of everybody else. Seek to help in ways to do this. And do not be prejudiced negatively towards anyone in your bid to help everyone. Just position yourself as an aid. I've done this in the, the bigger house of the spiritual father to whom we relate globally. Because I know in my service of him, I can serve his sons effortlessly. In doing that, I actually am serving him. Remember when David was in the stronghold of Ziglag. And the Bible says men came to him from various tribes. There was crossing the floor from the tribe of Saul to the camp of David. One king was losing heat and relevancy and legitimacy from God's perspective in the heavens. David was already anointed. The one king was pursuing the other. So the house of Saul gets weaker and weaker. But the house of David, the text says, gets stronger and stronger. Men who were in Saul's camp were highly discerning, some of them, and chose to leave Saul and cross over to David. When this crossing over took place, David was very resistant. He was highly cautious about who he received. Because you don't know who you're receiving. Maybe you're receiving a spy or someone sent to, um, uh, to do you in. Okay? A certain group from Benjamin and Judah came, it says, the text says. Watch what it says, right? So the men of Benjamin and Judah came. So in this group was a guy called a Messiah. Right? And, and the Bible says the spirit came on Amasai, who was the chief of the 30. And he said, we are yours, O David. I love the statement. We are yours, O David. Do you remember what Paul said about the Macedonian church? He says they gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to us. Do you have a problem with giving your heart to the Lord? Anybody here? No. Do many people have a problem with giving your heart to your spiritual leader? Paul was very clear in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, 2. He said of the Macedonians, they gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to us. Tell them never be given. Tell them be given to your spiritual leader. It's, it's biblical. This guy says to David, David, we're coming over. We are yours. Use us as you want to. We are yours. And watch what he I love the spirit of this guy. He says, we are with you, son of Jesse. Know where you come from. Know your lineage. We know the anointing in you flows from your father, Jesse. We are with you. We know that you're not an independent, doing your own thing kind of guy. You have a lineage, you have a, a heritage, you have a context, right? They were also aware that he was anointed king, by the way. If you read the, read the whole chapter, right? He was legitimate, anointed leader of God for the nation. So, you see, if you don't see what the person represents, you will not be given in your heart to the Lord, okay? Will not be given in your heart to the Lord. And Messiah says, 
We are yours. We are with you, son of Jesse. I like this. Peace, peace to you. But not just to you. Peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. And David received him and he made them captains, leaders in the army. You see, David's leadership was a certain ilk, certain pedigree. They knew, yeah, these guys, these are Messiahs. I can trust them. They're devoted to me. I have no issues with that. But more than their devotion to me, they are devoted to everybody else that has come to help me. He does not say peace, peace to you, David, only. He says peace, peace to you. And watch, I need to show you this. Peace to him. What he's saying is peace to everybody else here that has come from all the different tribes to pledge their loyalty to you, David. What Amasai is saying is, I'm not only committed to you and your peace, I'm committed to the peace of everybody in this house. You see, people love me, I hope. Yeah, nobody hates me, yeah? Right? But you know, my greatest delight would be when I see the same degree of love, loyalty, and honor you have for me that you express it one to the other. You make me strong by how you love each other. Your submission to me is demonstrated by your submission one to the other. Amen? Come on, say peace, peace. To Randolph and to everybody else <laughs> that has come to help him. Yeah? It's a powerful principle. Peace to everybody that has come to, to help. Amen. But I really want to speak on the importance importance and outcomes of submission what are some of the things you can hope to see in your life if you live this life the submitted life number one you will see the grace of god everyone say grace right you will see the grace of god manifest in your life and this is clear from james chapter 4 that uh, god will give grace to the humble and from verse 6 to 8 humility is is expressed by how submitted you are to God and to the representations of all the principles of God in your life. Okay? You will get great grace. Everyone say great grace. That for me is the first powerful manifestation or outcome of living a completely submitted life. Pastor Thalmo said something uh, powerful at the Lost Sons Fellowship to us. One of the sessions he said, if you value grace that much, you will not have any problems emptying yourself. For to be humble means for you to empty yourself of yourself so that you can be filled with something else, he said. The something else you want to be filled with is the grace of God. So people battle with humility and self-emptying because they don't value the replacement, what you'll be filled with. If you truly value what you're gonna, what's going to substitute your pride, you will deal with your pride quickly, he said. So the failure to deal with pride is tacit evidence that the person places no value on grace. Grace is priceless. It's, it's worth going after and making any necessary adjustment in your life to get it. Yes or no? Yes? It's worth the cost. And I'm saying to you, die quickly. I said to some people yesterday, in the afternoon I was doing a, a Bible study, Skype Bible study, and I said, to, I said, let's die quickly. 
and let's die successfully. <laughs> die quickly and die successfully. The quicker you die, the, the, more, the more sooner and the more profound the grace deposit will be in your life. Right? Still too alive, some of us. The self in us is too predominant. I'm saying, die because of the value you attribute to the grace that will fill you because of your humility. So, one more grace. You know, I realized um, I had a fairly busy week this week. It was crazy. I did a fair amount of work in the office. Got up very early, went to bed very late. And really, really pushing, 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 pushing. At times I was pushing so much, my heart rate went up. Literally, I felt an escalation. With both local things and global responsibilities, things were just, lots of things needed to take place at a fairly, fairly quick, quick pace. And this is what I prayed. I said, God, help me. I have to, I can't even rest now. I went and I laid on for an half an hour. I said, I'm going to lay for half an hour, but I have to come back quickly. I said, if you don't give me more grace, I can't do this. I need, if ever I need your grace, it's now more than ever before. And you know, I went to rest and I came back enthused. I literally felt the download of grace from the Father. I want to encourage you, learn to value grace. You know, I, I'm praying, I said to the Lord, I need my grace quantum tripled. If I have any measure of your grace, God, for what lies ahead, I can't function like this. With all the responsibilities ahead, I need this thing to quadruple. Right? Who needs quadruple grace? Amen. This house is going to need that. You know what? A lot of expectations being laid upon us, this particular house. And I want to encourage you. We cannot do what we need to do in the flesh because we're going to burn out. It's going to have to be an endowment. Paul said this, the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. The grace of God to me was not given in vain, but I worked. Grace doesn't make you lazy. It says, I worked, but not me, the grace of God that was with me. You don't work by your own steam. You work by the, by the, by the grace of God. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You know, this year is almost up, and I'm saying, God, but the purposes of the Lord need to be done. What can we do more in the remaining part of 2016 just to push and fast track, to push and fast track things? Amen? So be intense. Be robust. Be focused. Be in a Maasai. We've come to help you. Oh, David, we've come to help. We are yours. Not just yeah, you have our hearts. We are yours. Peace, we've come to ensure your peace. Come to make your work, the work of your hands lighter. Come to wash your hands like Elisha washed Elijah's hands. We are yours, oh, David. Not just your peace, we are equally committed to everybody else that is with you. Yeah? Hallelujah. You guys understanding? You know, we get this right. We'll have a submitted house. Not just submitted sons, one or two in the house. There will be a submitted house, and who knows what God can do through a submitted house. I want to spend just the remaining 20 minutes or so on the account of the centurion soldier. It's in Luke chapter 7, from verse 1 to 10. Before we read that, though, so the outcomes are grace. Secondly, you will effectively resist Satan. What does James 4 verse 7 say? Submit therefore to, to God, 
Resist the devil and he will flee, to, flee from you. Notice the order of things. It's submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. When does the devil flee? Not when you resist. The devil flees from the person that is submitted to God. You cannot resist the devil without first being submitted to God. Or more accurately said, I believe, submission to God is the way you resist the devil. Resistance of the devil is expressed by your submission to God. Empowerment over the enemy to the, to the degree or capacity where your resistance of him causes him to flee is built upon the bedrock of the quality of your submission to God. You take the submission thing out of the equation, resistance to the enemy is powerless. What we have in the church is people trying to submit to the devil, or rather resist the devil, but not observing principles of submission to God's order in the kingdom. Right? Now, I want to show you that that's the, 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 the second thing. So there's grace you will get. Secondly, your capacity to resist the devil that causes him to flee will be accentuated, uh, will be empowered. That's why I concluded, and I put a thing on, on Facebook where I wrote, submission then is an act of spiritual warfare. You want to be spiritually empowered in your spiritual warfare. Submission is the most lethal and potent expression of spiritual warfare. So wife, submit to your husband. What you're doing, you're saying, I'm engaging in an act of spiritual warfare. Right? Spiritual son, submit to your spiritual father. What you are saying, I'm empowering my own capacity to resist the enemy. Employee, submit to your employer's demands and dictates. And serve God, not him. Do your services unto the Lord. What you are, what you are doing to yourself in the spirit, you are saying, I am bolstering my capacity to resist the devil. Let me just say, if you do it on the work front, anything that the enemy brings to you on the work front, you will overcome. Because now he sees, even in the work front, here is a submitted employee. And there's no barring what he cannot wield of, of the weapons of war in the realm of the, of the spirit. Amen? Amen. So resist the devil and he will flee. Don't resist him without being submitted. Now, thirdly, everyone say spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. This you must concentrate now, brethren. This has been a revelation to me this week. Right? You must concentrate. I'm going to read the text. It regards the faith of the Roman centurion soldier. Whose, whose slave, his subordinate, the one below him, was ill, sick, almost unto death. Right? He, marvels, he marvelously portrays, this man, the power of submission and the wielding of spiritual authority, who, which is construed as an expression of faith to whom Jesus responds with supernatural power. In his domestic context. Let's read the text. Right? Now please, everyone concentrate. Marvelous story, only 10 verses. But I think herein is such, such a, a powerful, powerful lesson. 
And while we read, I want you to note five things about the man. This is Jesus, right? When he had completed his discourse, his teaching in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. A centurion's slave was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He, the centurion, who is worthy of you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. It was he who actually built our synagogue. Verse 6. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself any further. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. The elders thought he was worthy, not so. He's worthy for you to come. His response is, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed for the word for means on these grounds, because of this. What I'm about to say, if you don't even come to my house, stay where you are in the road, speak a word of healing, my servant at home will be sick for, because of a reality that I know as a Roman centurion officer in charge of 100 soldiers, century 100, right? So a, a centurion officer is in charge of at least a hundred soldiers, Andy says, because on these grounds, I am a man, where? I am a man under authority. Everyone do this. I am under authority. With soldiers, he's saying, if this is me, I am under, I got somebody under me. I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And what do I do? I say to this one, go! And he goes. And I say to another, come! Come on, come! And, the, and he comes. I say to my slave, do this! And he does it. Then the next text, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and he turned to the crowd that was following him and he said, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Right? The next text, the next verse, those who had been sent returned to the house and they found the slave in good health. Marvelous story, eh? What things about this man impressed me are the following. Number one, the Bible says that he loved the Jews. He loved his brothers. Yeah? Although he wasn't part of the brotherhood per se, he was outside of the commonwealth of Israel. This guy is an Italian and he loves pasta. Right? <laughs> he doesn't observe the Jewish feasts. He's an Italian Roman officer. Please bear in mind the political context of this day. The politics of the day was this. Palestine or Israel was a Roman 
colony. The Romans were colonizing the whole world, remember? So the whole of Palestine was under Roman rule. Who crucified the Lord? Roman soldiers, right? They were in charge. They were the authority of the day. And they know the principle of a kingdom. They know the principle of a kingdom. So he served Caesar's ends in and amongst the Jewish people. But although a representation of Caesar in the Jewish culture in Israel, he's a man of great discernment. How do I know that? For he saw within the Jews the God of the Jews. Right? He saw their representation and the purposes of God afoot with them. Such that he loved them greatly and he even built them a synagogue. Now when it says he built a synagogue, in other words, he used Roman funds to build a Jewish synagogue. That means he used his personal influence to, what's a synagogue? A synagogue is the place of meeting where instructions took place. He is building context and structure in which spiritual transactions for the people of God can take place. In this respect, I construe him as a man of great discernment and a love for God expressed by love for the people of God. He is almost the antithesis to what one would have expected of a Roman centurion officer. Remember, the Romans taxed the Jews fairly heavily. Guys like Matthew, no, Matthew, the one of the disciples, was a tax collector working for Rome. Who was the other guy? Zacchaeus? What did Jesus say to him when he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your, watch, I'm coming to your house. Although you're working for the Roman government, and in the minds of Jewish people, you are betrayer of their welfare. But I'm com salvation's coming to your house. Remember after salvation, Zacchaeus' salvation. What does he do to restitute? He says, Zacchaeus says, I have robbed people. That's what I do for the Romans. He says, if I have robbed back, if I have robbed anyone, Lord, I'm going to give him back fourfold whatever I took back or robbed the guys of. So, but this, this Roman centurion is acting in the opposite spirit to what one would have expected of a Roman centurion officer. He loved the people of God. Tell your never love the people of God. I am giving you what did Jesus see in this man that classified the man as having great faith. Great faith. Who wants to unleash the power of great faith? Yeah. Great faith starts with the love for the people of God. Starts with the love. I'll show you how this works. With the love for the people of God. But you know, I love what he says here. When he sends messengers to stop Jesus saying, I am, un, I am unworthy for you to come under my roof. For, everyone say for, I am a man under authority and I have subordinates under my authority. I say to the one, come, he comes, go, goes, do this and my servant does that. Right? You would have expected him to say, I am a man of authority. Therefore, I say to the one. He did not say, I am a man of authority. Therefore, I command, go, go, do this, and they do it. He said, I am a man under authority. Therefore, I say, do. What's he saying? My authority is unearthed from my submission. I am authoritative as I am. Because see how under somebody else's authority that I am. 
I am under someone's authority, therefore I can authoritatively command others under me. Nobody has no authority in your sphere of function if you have not demonstrated submission to a higher authority. Your capacity to rule, your capacity to authoritatively command is built upon the premise of the degree to which you are submitted to another. Hmm? You know, submission, I, I wrote this, I put this text on the WhatsApp group, I think l late last night, it, it came to me. Submission does not generate authority. It simply unearths it, activates it, and provides the resident authority given by God to you by the power of His Spirit. It provides it with a legitimate pathway for its expression. You don't have a legal, legitimate pathway for expressing your authority if you are not first submitted. You can be pregnant because you are in Christ, vested with great authority, like Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to, to me. But listen carefully. What did Jesus consistently demonstrate in his earthly life? The power of Submission, great authority is only given to the son who can demonstrate a submitted life. Because submission is the conduit that in and through which authority finds its expression. No submission, no demonstrated authority. Right? No demonstrated authority. You want to wield power over the demonic, but you submit to no one. Guess what? Those demons will know that you are an unsubmitted person. Right? And you'll be powerless to wield that, that level of authority. Right? Do you know, listen carefully, when he said to Jesus, I'm a man, watch, I am under authority. I have subordinates under me. Come, they come. Go, they go. Do this, they do that. So therefore, you, he says to Jesus, you, you speak the word now. You say something. My servant at home is going to be healed. What he is not saying to Jesus, he is not saying, I can see you are a man of authority. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, I can see similarly how you are submitted to someone that's above you. Now speak. It's different. You see, he's not saying, Jesus, you are a man of authority, because based on the analogy, what he's really saying, you to Jesus are a man under authority. And your capacity to command my servants, healing at home is built upon your submission to your heavenly father. No authority wielded without demonstrated sub submission. God spoke to me. You know, I'm getting violent. Can't believe myself sometimes in prayer. I was praying seriously even last night. I said, I want the spirit of might. The, one of the seven spirits of the Lord. The spirit of power and, and might. These were, these were David's men. Spirit of might rested on David's armies. Right? Where I will not be intimidated by anything. Right? And that no fear will grip me. No fear for the demonic, for trials, for needs, for having to do the will of the Lord at every level. A spirit of might was on David when he killed Goliath. Everyone say might. might. We'll discuss it more fully when we do the seven spirits of the Lord. 
seven spirits of the Lord are the outcomes of grace. How grace practically is demonstrated. Right? But listen carefully. And I got a call. We are talking backwards and forwards with our tax consultants. They handle all my tax issues. We pay, we pay PAY like any working, I do, like any working person, etc. And um, they were trying to find legitimate ways of me being tax exempt from certain additional income like honorariums or first incomes that I received in my personal capacity, right? Because people honor me privately. Bless you. I want you to receive this. So money is coming to my bank account. At the end of every tax year, I declare that. Even monies that don't come into my bank account, everyone to see my record, you're welcome to. If I receive a cash gift at the end of the tax year, I declare that to SARS. Why? The Bible says I must honor Caesar. Give to Caesar what Caesar is, due, but it also says give to God. What God is, was due. Was due. So tax consultant said to me, hey, Randolph, you're, you're going to be slapped with a heavy tax, tax on what you've received. I said, okay, no problem. And I was like, calm, no problem. Uh, declare it and we'll pay it. She said, you, yeah, you're serious? I said, what do you expect me to do? She said, can't we do this, that? I said, no, no, no. It's legitimately received, so declare it. And let's just pay the tax. What are we trying to do? We're trying to keep financial integrity before God and before men. And I knew after I spoke to her, it was a witness to her about how pastors in the kingdom operate. Because there's some shysters out there. Right? <laughs> it, was a, it was a literal testimony to her. Listen, this guy is legit. Right? So we'll pay the tax. That's a phenomenal amount that we have to pay. And I put the phone down and the spirit of might, I was praying in the morning, literally came upon me. I felt like an infusion. God said to me, you're going to conquer many things, but in an arena that you're going to conquer very well is the area of finances. Spirit of might will come upon you and you will conquer that realm. Now listen carefully. If I don't display submission to SARS, if I'm not submitted to earthly governments and I try to crook them, and yeah, I want to wield spiritual authority against demonic hosts financially. Guess what? The demons will say to me, but you are unsubmitted to protocols and principles your government lays upon you. How dare you stand authoritatively over us to wield this command? Huh? The, the, the centurion is saying to Jesus, you speak because you too are a man under authority. One of the great things about this man that I really like, the centurion, he placed high value on the subordinate. The Bible says he had a slave sick unto death at home. Ordinarily, true to the nature of most Italian centurion soldiers, let the guy die, I get another one. Because that's how we Romans operate. Get the die, brute, thank for your service, but die quickly so I can replace you. This guy doesn't think like that, right? The Bible says he was highly regarded by the centurion. You see, although he's over the slave, he is submitted to the slave under him by placing value on the slave. In his mind, he ranks the person as above himself. I don't doubt he explored and exhausted every known avenue for the guy's healing. 
when all else failed, the Bible says he heard about Jesus. You know, I just love this guy. This guy is, you know what the Bible says? He doesn't just bulldoze, break rank and file, and just say, Jesus, oh, Allah, come here. I need you to sort my problem out. The Bible says he bows to Jewish elders. He respects protocol. He goes to established leadership. And he says to them, you go represent me on my behalf to Jesus. Jew to Jew. He does not assume anything. You know, today people assume so much. And we run roughshod, violating principles, think we're going to get the results. This guy was a man of order, a man of principle, a man of protocol, a man of respect for established order. And he consults elders in the Jewish fraternity. You go talk to him on my behalf. By the way, these guys have a great testimony of him. They say to Jesus, if there's anybody worthy for you to help, here's a guy. This one. Their testimony was true. You know, I like his humility. Because when he comes to the Lord, he says, I'm unworthy. You can't even set your foot in my house. So unworthy am I to receive the stature of person like you, Jesus. But I understand something. He's saying, let me paraphrase how the guy is thinking. He's saying, I understand something about rank, file, and the power of a submitted life. You have the capacity to wield authority where I don't. In an army, I can command, but you are the maker of the universe. You created bodies <laughs> so you can heal them and save them from death. I recognize that in you. So stand here and simply speak the, the word and my servant at home will be healed. When Jesus did that, the servant was made whole that instant. You know what Jesus said about the guy? He didn't say, I've never seen such submission in all my life. What did he say? I've never seen what? Great faith. One of the few times the word great faith is used in reference to somebody in the Bible. At one time, Jesus said to his disciples, Oh, he of little faith. But to this guy, he says, Your faith is great. Why is his faith great? His faith is great because of the level of honor he attributes to the personage of Jesus. Jesus equates his honor of him to an expression of faith. Let me encourage you a little secret. You want breakthrough, and we all want it, right? But some of our breakthrough is not coming because you're living in dishonor to those that God has placed over you. Do you remember when Jesus went to Nazareth, right? His hometown. He grew up in Nazareth, right? Born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. After, I think, one or two months of public ministry, he, he goes back there. You know what the Bible says? They say to him, who is this carpenter's son? Who does he think he is? And they devalued his worth. You know what the Bible says? Jesus could not do any mighty works there. Because of what? Because of their unbelief, lack of faith. But their unbelief or lack of faith was rooted in what? A dishonor of his personage. You can never ever have faith in the power of God to do something. If you violate the person of God, represent in the person that comes to you. My sight, my perception of what the person represents, I honor the God in the man. And that positions me in life for a faith position to trust God to do the impossible. 
When God sees my submitted life, the Lord can say to me, as he did of the centurion, great, I've, you know what God is saying? This guy's an Italian. Not one Jew, not one Israelite I have seen to date has manifested something that this guy is modeling and is outside the commonwealth of Israel. He's an alien. He's a foreigner. He's a stranger to covenants, a stranger to the Old Testament uh, 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 mosaic law and, and all the rich promises of God. But he enters a reality that others failed to see. And Jesus said, great faith. Great faith reduces distance. You stand in the road, say a word. My domestic household issues are sorted. Servant in my house is, is healed from that very hour. If I were you, I would leave this building with a prayer in my heart. I'm not one to wield my authority in Christ, but it's going to be built upon a submitted life. Yeah? Amen. It's going to be built upon the life of submission to those that God has placed over me and to those, my brothers and my sisters. Lastly, and this I won't even talk about, you'll have to read it in your notes. When Jesus submitted to John the Baptist, allowing John to baptize him in the river Jordan. Remember, the greater submitted to the lesser. Who is the greater, Jesus or John? Come on, talk to me. Who is greater, Jesus or John? Jesus. How do we know that? John himself said. He said, the one coming after me, who is what? Who is greater than I. So Jesus is greater. But he has the greater saying, you baptize me. John protested. John said, no, I must be baptized by you. But like I said, when you know who you are, you have no problems bowing to the representation of Christ in the other. So Jesus submits himself in where? In the river Jordan. What does Jordan mean? Descending rapidly. Descending? Not, not slowly. You want to say rapidly. Tell you never come down quickly. Yeah? Listen, listen. Don't wait for next week's sermon. The third. I'm waiting for the third part of submission for me to decide. Do the thing now. This, you've got enough age for you to obey, right? I'm saying to God, I want to obey rapidly, right? I want to obey rapidly. When he submitted and he respected John's ministry, you know what? When he got up out of the water, what happened? Boop, and the heavens opened. Everyone saying, open heaven. It's one of the final outcomes of a submitted life. You will live under an open heaven. You will live under an open heaven. Who wants an open heaven? Yeah? Come on. Who wants an open heaven? I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you for so much. I don't want nothing hindering the flow of what you want to do in our lives. Let me just say this. What we are about to embark on as a church is mammoth. It's mammoth in its in its magnitude. It's going to require commitment like we've never seen it before. Commitment born out of a revelation of what we're about. It's going to require sacrifice financially, your time, your skill, your talents, like never before, because of a greater purpose. But as we submit, may I encourage you, the heavens are opened, and they will open over your life. I am trusting God for an open heaven over this church. When God sees a submitted church, he will, he will draw back the curtain and there will be nothing hindering us from doing what we need to do in the kingdom of God. Amen? Nothing hindering us. Amen? But I'm saying my level of faith is raised significantly high. I never arrived here overnight. Didn't happen like this. 
you know, I've seen it. The more I submitted to a higher purpose, God says, your faith's not going to grow. Your faith reality is built on your submitted life based upon the level of honor you attribute to the one placed over you. Yeah? Come on, break the ceiling. Break the ceiling. Don't live life like you've lived for the past 10 years. Let 2017 and beyond be vastly different for you. Things can't persist as per the normal. It, it must change. The landscape of your life must alter. It's going to be born out of submission to God-given authority. And you will be given authority as you use submission as a weapon of spiritual warfare. Amen. Submission now, we're rescuing the word from its tarnished perception in the church, right? It's no more bad word. Tell remember, now submission is a good word. Yes. Right? I'm going to submit. Amen? Amen? Parents, your children will be the most submitted parents ever. Practice this in every relational context. Yes, yes. Your entirety of your life, bring your life under subjection. I prophesy over you, see your authority in God grow. See your faith to, to activate the supernatural growth. You might have exhausted all your known means to bring remedy to your domestic circumstances like the centurion. One word from God based and, and directed to a submitted son changes things instantly, overcoming geographical boundaries. One word. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, let's stand. Stand with me. Let's stand as an act of we are submitting to the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. We bring our lives under submission today. Things that are hard for some of us domestically. We might be sitting at home with some sick issues unto death, like the slave was sick unto death. Things are almost about to expire on us. Things are almost about to hit the death state. But God, we've heard your word. Father, I pray supernatural intervention over the congregation. You've placed me as an oversight over these people. Now I assert that headship in you, Father. And I ask a canopy be placed over every family. I ask a pavilion of grace, of supernatural breakthrough, attend every domestic household year in the name of the Lord. I pray a resuscitation to issues of destiny that are on the verge of exp expiration. I ask in the name of Jesus, resurrect destiny, resurrect hope, resurrect faith and belief, resurrect the commitment to purpose that you've called us to, resurrect our love one for the other. Whatever is dying, Father, I ask right now in the name of the Lord, resurrect that in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that we would be the submitted house that you call us to. I ask, Father, for an open heaven. Give us an open heaven. Give us an open heaven, Father. Give it to us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Let nothing hinder. Let not the heavens be as brass to us when we pray, when we command, when we wield the sword of your word, the authority of your word. I pray there will be instantaneous responses, uh, even beyond geographical limitations, Beyond any limitation, Father, I speak even now correction to everything out of alignment with your purpose and your intent for every family. I ask in the name of Jesus, let your will be done 
at home. Let your will be done in our finances. Let your will be done in our marriages. Let your will be done in our ambition and the way in which we passionately pursue your purpose. Let your will be done. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, O God, for a submitted disposition. Because from that you will unearth the authority you've given. I declare, even now, our authoritative position in you. We have authority in Christ. We are seated with you over powers and principalities. Over all the powers of the air, your word declares, nothing shall be impossible to us. I thank you, you've given us this estate of the sons of God in the earth. And rulership in you, Father, is our privileged position that you've granted unto us. So we bow our hearts to you. We respect you. We fear you. And we honor you, our Father. We really do. We fear you with all of our hearts. In a loving way, we reverence you. We have high regard for you. We think the world of you. We never want to disappoint and deliberately grieve you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us at times when we have grieved you and violated these principles. We pray forgive us in those instances. So, Father, even now, uh, we resolve to commit to the pathway of submission and humility that your purpose might prevail with great authority in the earth and for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.